Welcome to Lit from the Basement. This is Danielle. And this is Max. I'm an author and professor. I'm a reformed rake and now stay-at-home dad. We're a married couple who discuss literature in our basement while our children are sleeping. Our show is pretty simple. I introduce Max to a poem. We discuss it a bit, use it as a springboard to discuss issues that we're passionate about or personal stories from our lives. The boys are now asleep. So let's talk. Okay. So, it's September Women Poets Month a celebratory project to spend September reading books of poetry by women. And anyone can participate. Um, If you'd like to know more about it and you're on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, just look up hashtag SeptWomenPoets, that's S-E-P-T, Women Poets, or just follow Shara Leslie, the woman who created this project and one of my very best friends. So in honor of her, I thought we'd start off the month reading one of her poems. Okay, so the fact that I have not heard of Women's Poetry Month before isn't just me being a typical Philistine. This is this is new. <laughs> no, this is a new thing. So so Shara started it last year and it caught on really quickly okay. and ended last up last year, okay. Yeah, just last year. So this is the second year. Uh, but it caught on really quickly and quickly had an international following, which was really fun because then a lot of people were introduced to um, poets outside of the US. Mm-hmm. There was just a lot of excitement around that about women poets. So um, she's doing it again this year, and we'll see who follows. Maybe you. <laughs> We're going to put a link. It's it, it's a hashtag on uh, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Oh, okay. Okay. Anyhow, link will be in our show notes. Great. So... This poem that I am reading is one of the many titular poems from Shara Leslie's book, The Explosive Expert's Wife. How do you have many titular of anything in something? (laughs) Okay, so the title is The Explosive Expert's Wife, Mm -hmm. and she has many poems in the manuscript with that title. So it's like Explosive Expert's Wife number one? Mm, Number two, Electric Boogaloo, and it goes on like that? (laughs) Uh, No, it's just the explosive expert's wife over and over, but there are different moments of the explosive expert's wife. Um, And so, you know, the only way that you know one from another, partly because they're structured so differently uh, that it's it's quite easy to tell um, which is which, uh, which was convenient for me when I was looking through the book before this (laughs) podcast in order to find the right one. But, you know, they're also spread out throughout the manuscript. So they're um, it's it's, you know, sort of like, oh, we're checking in on that explosive expert's wife again. (laughs) What is she up to now? (laughs) Crazy gal. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So the book itself is set largely in Jordan, where the poet herself lived for three years with her family. Um, And she lived there during the Arab Spring Mm -hmm. and during the birth of her first two children. So she has a powerful attachment to this place for obvious reasons. Um, But obviously the danger of writing about living in a foreign country is to exoticize the people and culture at mm-hmm. that place, you know, reducing, you know, a complex society into a kind of foreign delight sampler plate or <laughs> caricatures. You know, a, yeah, travel the East brochure or, you know, alternately reduce it to the American centric view of the Middle East, which tends to emphasize zealotry, misogyny, violence, mm-hmm. you know, without any reflection on how those things manifest in our culture right. all the time. But um, I think one of the real successes of this book, um, you know, beyond its gorgeous language throughout, is how well she navigates this tricky terrain with just a lot of compassion and introspection. Um, these poems delve into the complex inner lives of people who usually play the supporting or domestic role to larger political dramas, thus the title, The Explosive Expert's Wife. Another another poem from the book is The Accused Terrorist's Wife. Oh, okay. And like that woman is treated with equal compassion, equal attention to her needs and her fears and her desires. So in many ways, uh, Leslie sidesteps the danger of fetishization or condescension by creating what really feels like full, real people. Um, Her characters are also really aware of their layered position in the world. Um, From the behind the scenes sort of domestic sphere, 
they're able to communicate their sense of lack, but also their privileges, their biases, their inadequacies. And uh, it creates a really, well, a complex character um, that we that we hear. She was there for for the birth of her two children. Yes. Talk about her husband. He he was stationed in Jordan, wasn't he? Yeah. And that they were. Yes. That's that's right. where this that's why yeah, they were there for so long. He's in foreign service. Yeah. Okay. That's why that's why they were there um, for those three years. Um, Shara is a poet and also in an, an instructor. But I I did have the opportunity to go visit them mm-hmm. uh, when they were in Jordan. So that was kind of amazing because I had never been anywhere close even to the Middle East. I suppose no. No, I'd never, I'd never been to the Middle East. Yeah. I was really taken aback mostly about how welcoming everybody was. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen often. You know, it, it, I've traveled a lot uh, to various locales all over the world. And mostly people are kind of pissed off at Americans for good reason, yeah. I think. Um, Our foreign policy isn't so super hot. It's not hot, right? It's really not Really not gr- good now. Yeah, especially now. Um, and so I get that. I get that people are sort of grumpy and they're like, what are you doing here, you privileged American? Um, but I didn't get that reception at all in Jordan. I felt um, really welcomed everywhere I went. Um, people I didn't know would come up and say welcome, um, which was really so charming. Um but yeah, they, they just were so gracious about me even being there. And I remember Christian saying they are absolutely wonderful people until they become drivers. <laughs> he, he said that. Although you could say the same thing about everyone, any, every, yeah. anyone in, in a me. car. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's true. When Max is driving, he likes to pretend that he can control everybody on no, the no, road. That's not a pretend. It's. <laughs> It's. I think. I hope that maybe if I mutter correct be. directions under my breath, these people would pick up the vibe. And, and and it must be so difficult trying to control every single person on the road at all times. I mean, it, it really just seems laborious. It seems like just a trip to the grocery store would cause you so much angst, irritation, angst anger, and, and, and irritation and anger that you would just uh, come home and have to sleep. <laughs> Um, okay, so. Well, okay, so I, I, I like to think of this poem, and there's a reason why I chose it. I think it's a really beautiful reflection of the book as a whole. Mm-hmm. So the poem is overall a love poem from a wife to her husband, but there's a heck of a lot more going on here mm-hmm. than that. Um, you know, to be clear, this, the title is quite literal. The poem is spoken by the explosive expert's wife. Her husband is an explosive expert. So terrorist acts in the region have a direct impact on this couple's relationship because each time there's an attack, he's called away to investigate into something dangerous, leaving her alone to worry for his safety. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll note that, that the poem is set in a specific Middle Eastern landscape, the famous desert wilderness in southern Jordan, Wadi Rum, which roughly translates to Valley of the Moon. Hmm. They film a lot of movies there. They do film a lot of movies there. So or they you know, have. I mean, I, do you I, know which movies they filmed there? They filmed The Martian. Well, anything that's Mars. Um, uh, the Martian. I think Ridley Scott. I don't know what movie he did. He filmed something there. It could have been his Crusade film, or maybe even Prometheus. Um, I know that the Pogues have a song called "The Girl from the Wadi Hammamit." Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Um, Lawrence of Arabia. What? Yes. I sh- okay. Okay. That's something I should have known. I, 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 when I saw that, I like jumped up and down. I was like, I wonder if he'll know this. No, I Max didn't know a, that. Max is a movie buff. I, 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 I didn't know that myself. I had to look it up. How? Okay. I guess my, my problem is um, when I'm thinking of the Levine film, Lawrence of Arabia, uh, that I keep imagining the dunes, which is not what I'm imagining. Oh, there or- are those red long dunes i mean it's the desert it's a southern desert okay. of 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 jordan it's it's a very large well, space I, no no it's absolutely a desert but I, i'm imagining the films that i've seen it in more rocky hard soil less dunes okay hmm. sorry this is just movies me, me tying movies into it you keep going okay so it's 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 you said the wadi 
what Wadi Rum, which roughly translates to Valley of the Moon. Okay. And so while I read this poem, I just would like you to notice Shar's use of celestial imagery mm-hmm. throughout the poem. If you want to read along with the poem, just go to our website, litfromthebasement.com, click on the show notes tab, and then look for show number six. The Explosive Expert's Wife by Shara Leslie. Skygate, the abandoned observatory at Wadi Rum. The astronaut's suit smells like spent gunpowder, the magazine says, meaning the moon is the aftermath of a war. Or perhaps it's the scent of satellites orbiting long dead stars. In a dark pocket of the universe, we walked the wind-shaped dunes that hissed like cosmic ice. I thought I knew the limits sadness in this world, but the tense fibers glistened like a meteor's pale tail, and behind the curtain, I realized the veiled scope had kept its vigil for some time, wide eye pointed toward Earth's illusory dome. It would be months before I heard you drag your packed bag across our marble floor to catch a red eye bound for the city where the explosion's embers burned for days after the attack. Before the reporter on scene said the crew freed the woman's husband by detecting with a tiny machine his still beating heart as he fought for air. That night in the desert, there was nothing to stop us from going in. We entered, undressed. If there's a passage between this world and the next, let it begin in that dormant tent. Should darkness fall, I'll meet you there. poem kills me (laughs) it is a good absolutely worldly no naivete love poem yes that's one of the reasons why i love it so much this is a glimmer they don't she never says this but this is a glimmer of light in i mean we have things uh talking about i mean deep space in a dark pocket of the universe pocket of the universe where our planet is yes um and what was it? Uh, orbiting long dead stars. I mean, this this yeah. this whole like this cosmic angst and futility and such loneliness, right? There's so much loneliness in this, um, but we know we know at the very end of it that their togetherness keeps this loneliness and this darkness at bay and cold and cold too, right? Yeah, I mean it. <laughs> something that I always kind of say about poems that are about the early part of a relationship is one of the things that is sort of problematic about it. And it's all fire and fireworks, (laughs) fire and fireworks, or there's no world there. There's just these two people, you know, um, they could be on Mars or under the ocean or whatever. They're just like, Oh, I just sit here and look at you forever. I just fall into your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I love you deeply, but I like looking at other things. <laughs> I appreciate if that. If we talk about like spending eternity together, I'm aware yeah. that I'll need to see something besides you and an unbroken vista of horizon. <laughs> I'm completely insulted. We're getting a divorce. <laughs> when the boys are old enough to understand. <laughs> For the radio listeners who are just tuning in, you're listening to Lit from the Basement with Danielle and Max. The poem we're discussing today is The Explosive Expert's Wife by Shara Leslie. If you'd like to read along with the work, you can find it on our website, litfromthebasement.com. Go to the show notes tab and find show number six. Yeah, no, I mean, this 
this poem, and it is one of the things I deeply appreciate about this poem, is that there is a real world that the romance that is happening here in this moment is just a brief moment. Um, and there are so many layers happening outside of the moment, right? I mean, so there are so many vivid moments in this poem. Some of them are imagistic. Some of them are narrative. But everything seems to culminate in that final line, which is not a line that you can throw into a poem unless you earned it, <laughs> right? But she's freaking earned it at the end. Should darkness fall, I'll meet you there. And I just like, <laughs> I just like cry every time I get there. Hopefully I will not, I will find a way to not cry in the recording of this. So one of the thing, one of the ways that she does that um, is by interrupting the narrative structure of this. We start off with them walking into the tent. Wait, no. That whole scene at the at the at the beginning um is them, you know, in this world they've walked into the observatory. I was okay, I was going to ask tent. you it says the abandoned observatory. I didn't it's a tent. Oh. It's not. It's not. Mm-mm, it's not a solid structure. It's. It. It is a. It is a tent structure. Um. Hmm. Let me see if I can find a well, Im- that, an image for you. Well, that's curious because that then that means. I mean, it's recent. It's not an ancient structure. Yeah. They well, put anything. It, if it's a tent, it's obviously not permanent. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um. It. It was a sort of a recent attempt to create a different experience. I think in the. Um, See, Jordan private tours here Skygate telescope in Wadi Rum hmm it's a sturdy tent <laughs> yes that's a sturdy tent we're gonna have um, a link to an image of this in the show notes we're gonna have to because this is this looks like a it's quite curious it's a looks like a basic biosphere so okay so go ahead so there there actually is a structure but it says abandoned and, but it's, it's weird. How can you abandon a temporary structure? <laughs> yes. I think that she just means that there's nobody else there. Okay. That's what I think it See, means. And I was wondering when she talked about entering undressed, I'm like, oh, so they entered the desert. Like they just walked into the desert. No, no, they actually went to a structure. Okay. Right. Okay. That was one of my questions I had. Oh, okay. Yeah. We entered undressed. Um, they entered the tent. Right. Okay, I thought they were entering the desert, and it was going to be the metaphor for. Okay, never mind. They actually they physically entered a structure. Okay. Yeah. Well, they're in the, entering the structure at the beginning, right? That's what she's sort of re- refer. The astronaut suits smelled like spent gunpowder. The the magazine says there are, are objects. But it's, and that confused me too because the word magazine. Oh, I know. Magazine is an as a fantastic word to use in yeah, this poem, it, right? It makes me hover. I'm like, wait a minute. We're talking about gunpowder from a cartridge from yeah. a magazine or right. are we talking or a magazine which is we could also be um you know a structure that you keep ammunition in um a larger structure right mm-hmm. or it could be you know from a journal yeah uh, you know from like some... life magazine talking about buzz aldrin's bo that's right. why i was kind of <laughs> what are we right the astronaut smooths smell like the astronaut suit smells like spent gunpowder the magazine says yeah mm-hmm. the word magazine there um has so many different meanings and I feel like all of them apply, especially since the word before it is gunpowder, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think it has a resonance with that kind of ammunition. Um, but obviously, um, but it, the magazine says. Right. This is the says part. Yeah. Right. But it, I mean, it could be read, you know, in a journal or it could be something on the wall in the observatory, right? Like the, that the observatory is a, is a magazine in of itself hmm. because... Of the meaning of it. would be a lot clearer if it just said the magazine read. <laughs> she's being intentionally obtuse. Mm, obtuse? No. She's, no, not she's, obtuse. Sorry. She's being intentionally open to allow for these various connotations mm-hmm. in the word. Okay, and this thing is laden with connotations. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I ask you to pay attention to is the celestial imagery. Right? Mm. Did you do that? No, I'm, I'm, I missed it a little bit because uh, <laughs> I was scribbling a note. Um, but uh, I some celestial imagery. Well, I, it yeah, this be... is just packed full of it. Well, the 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 thumb 
shape dunes that hissed like cosmic, cosmic ice. ice. <gasps> so you get the idea Amazing. that you just pass through a comet's tail and all the crystalline, ding, 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 uh-huh. ding, ding, all the high-pitched crystalline crunch sounds. But I love that. The wind-shaped dunes that hissed like cosmic ice. Yeah. I mean, part of it is the... No human being has ever heard cosmic ice, but we know what it sounds like, what's being said here. Yeah, totally. But before we even get to cosmic ice, you've got moon satellites. You've got astronaut in the very first Mm -hmm. line, right? Astronaut, moon, satellites. Long dead stars. Mm -hmm. Pocket of the universe. Cosmic ice. Glistened like a meteor's pale tail. I mean, it's just laden with it. And I think... I keep expecting her to become redundant or to lose my interest because it's all along the same strain of thought. Motif, yeah. It's it's, it's using the same motif throughout. Um, The same gray crepe paper with the little cluttered uh, paper balls to be the asteroids hanging from string. (laughs) No, this isn't some cheap diorama. No, this is amazing. Yeah, like every time she gets to another one of these lines, I'm like, yes, glistens Mm. like a pale, like a meteor's pale tail. Um, Well, that's why uh, I had you read it twice to me because mm -hmm. I kept scribbling notes. I stopped and I missed what you would say to me. Oh, really? Um, that's, yeah, but I was hanging on things like the um, cosmic ice and, yeah, so that's why I had you read it twice. Oh, I, I had yeah. to stop and keep scribbling. Right. I, I, I realized the veil scope. So this is the scope inside the, the okay, observatory. See, and so now I have less questions. There's literally an observatory here. Well, yeah, that's, so that, that is the, you know, I said the explosive expert, why the next thing I said is Skygate, the abandoned observatory at Wadi Rum. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the epigraph to the poem. It's, it's to orient the reader to the actual space um, that they are in. I probably should have said that first. Okay. Yeah. So that, the um, italicized line right before that is, is the epigraph for that kind of mm. orientation so that you, and it does sort of invite you to go look up the image mm-hmm. in some ways. I, I wouldn't have known to do that had she not put that in there. So it's kind of a, it's a nice signpost for the reader. Like, Hey, you may, you may want to know what this looks like, but she does so without saying, Hey, you should know what this looks like. <laughs> um, it's so and it's, you should know that my husband and I were naked there. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that's, ooh, ooh, Sharon, <laughs> Christian. <laughs> they have two children. <laughs> so it's, nothing is shocking. Um, yeah, but I, I love this. I mean, we're also talking about this as if, you know, I mean, who knows? This may not have even happened <laughs> between them. I mean, maybe I like to think that it does. Just probably a terribly voyeuristic thing voyeuristic. for me to say, <laughs> um, since I know them. But that—that's not what I mean. What I mean is, <laughs> hey, what I mean we're is, we're happy I, that we're happy for them. Yes, exactly, exactly. Like, yeah, get it on in that wadi rum tent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, have a moment, Jesus. I mean, especially with what happens with the with. In in this poem, right? We, it we starts in a, this really gorgeous moment. Um, we of, had a similar moment on the five freeway, <laughs> leaving San Diego <laughs> on that on that underpass. Oh, it was beautiful. I, I just wish one of our kids would have been conceived at that spot. But <laughs> the chip bags rustled like cosmic <laughs> ice. <laughs> freeway detritus scurried about our feet. I, sometimes I thought it was a rat. <laughs> I reached down to touch the rat. <laughs> And it was a rat. And found that it was merely a weave. (laughs) (laughs) Ripped out and thrown out the window. (laughs) Okay, now you're conflating the five freeway with With, our neighborhood in Cincinnati. Cincinnati. (laughs) I know, I don't know how everybody was losing their weaves all over the neighborhood. I was like, oh, another weave gone. (laughs) It was like at all times of the day and night, like, man... (laughs) People are just getting their weaves ripped out everywhere. Poor ladies. That is expensive and painful. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, okay. We have to get to the serious yes, part. Yes, let's go back to this. Back to Okay. You, you put your academic hat on. <laughs> You've cracked me up too much. Um. Okay. Oh, here. Oh, God. 
Okay, the wide eye pointed toward Earth's illusory dome. It would be months before I heard you drag your packed bag across our marble floor to catch a red eye bound for the city where the explosion's embers burned for days. So this is instead of a flashback, it's a flash forward. Forward. And she's talking about, and she goes into a story about a woman who almost lost her husband. Right, right. And so what you have to imagine here is that the speaker, the explosive expert's wife, um, is hearing all this on the television Mm -hmm. while the husband is away investigating this and probably doesn't have contact Mm -hmm. with him, knowing him that he's in this, in this place that is, I gotta say it now knowing that I'm sorry, but I'm I'm dialing back and I'll, I'll, uh, but knowing that there literally is an observatory Mm -hmm. now, wide eyed pointed Mm -hmm. now that Mike, okay. Yeah, I, I didn't understand that there really was a, an observatory. Right, and she's looking through the scope. Right, and and the flash forward, it was actually one of my quotes, Mike, months before I heard, question mark, I, this is one of the things I scribbled, so I didn't know she was doing it. I was confused at that moment, but here, everything's coming together. I'm going to let you talk. I'll be quiet. <laughs> okay, so there's this flash forward to this moment where uh, there's a woman's husband um, who is, I imagine, under rubble. Um by, you know, the reporter on scene said the crew freed the woman's husband by detecting with a tiny machine his still beating heart as he fought for air. And she leaves it there. So you have to imagine a woman sitting at home, Mm. listening um, on the television or radio or reading in a newspaper about the place that she knows that her husband is. Mm Mm-hmm reading about another woman who's nearly lost her husband. So that deepens one's sense of anxiety, Mm -hmm. right? Especially if you can't talk to your significant other during that time, like she's waiting for news to, to make sure everything's okay. And even if his job is to go into sites that have already been secured, been secured still, obviously it's a place that is in transition. Yes. Right. To say the very least. So, you know, it it seems like that kind of anxiety uh, would be quite real. So what we get in this moment, this moment is interrupted by this flash forward. So the entire poem itself is past tense. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So everything, everything happens in the past, including walking up to the tent um, and the flashback, which is a flash forward. Um, and then and then the narrative continues on the moment right after as he fought for air that night in the desert. There is nothing to stop us from going in. Mm-hmm. We entered undressed. And then there's this beautiful moment there at the end. If there's a passage between this world and the next. Let it begin in that dormant tent. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to remember this moment. This yes. is This is our connection point here. Yes. Yeah. If everything fails, if there is a passage between this world and the next, and there's so much doubt in that, right? She's not saying like, oh, when we die and we both go to heaven. No, that's not in this poem. This no. poem is very much set in the world. It's not naive. It's not naive in any way, right? She's saying... I don't, I mean, who knows? I don't know. She's not saying that she's certain about anything, but if there is a passage Mm -hmm. between this world and next, if you, which is to say, if you die on one of these trips, this is where you should find me. So gorgeous and completely earned you know, um, at this moment of the poem, should darkness fall. And that means all darkness. Yeah, because right? we're talking already, we've already been in deep space. Yeah. We're talking on a cosmic, we've talked about the cosmos. So for. Right. But also just should darkness fall as also a kind of euphemism for death itself. Well, uh, yeah. Right? I mean, like I said, we've been in darkness already, but now we're talking about. Yeah. The curtain being pulled. Exactly. Right. I'll meet you there. Yeah. I just think it's so gorgeous. 
For the radio listeners who are just tuning in, you're listening to Lit from the Basement with Danielle and Max. The poem we're discussing today is The Explosive Expert's Wife by Shara Leslie. If you'd like to read along with the work, you can find it on our website, litfromthebasement.com. Go to the show notes tab and find show number six. But one of the reasons why I think the language in here is so successful is because of uh, Shara's deft ear. She's so so good with linguistic musicality. Mm-hmm. The sonic structure of this, the sonic texture of this is just, I think, so lovely. I mean, if you just even look at the first stanza, mm-hmm. right? Um, the, the M sounds and the S sounds in of themselves. And of course, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for a long I sound. <laughs> a, any, I totally am. Satellite, light, bright, aisle, Ice, I, I, hmm. all of those I just love. So your favorite animal must be the Madagascar I, I. <laughs> I've never heard of that. You've never heard of that? No. What is it? That's the one, it's like related to a, a tarsier. It has huge eyes because it's nocturnal. It's a primate, but it looks, it's closer, when you look at it, it looks closer to squirrel than chimp. It sounds amazing. Just, Maybe it is my favorite animal. I never knew it. Okay, I really want to see a picture of it. Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just never, you've, I've never heard you say, ever. I see. And, and with you, everything with you is a surprise. At least once a week, I'm totally surprised by you. I did not know you were a sucker for long eye sounds. You didn't? No. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I think that if we had had a daughter, I mean, one of my favorite names is Isla. Hmm. And it's because of that. Hmm. But yeah, no, I'm just, I'm a total sucker for it. Every time I hear that sound, I just, I feel like so happy. Okay. Yeah. So she's got the satellite there and then she's got the cosmic ice later on. But suit smells, scent says satellites. Hmm. That's, that's all the S sounds in that. But then also look at the M's. So magazine, meaning, moon, math. In that one very small stanza, you have the repetition of the S sounds and the M sounds over and over. Why the, um, is it just to, to bring in the M sound stronger, but the line break on after, literally in the middle of aftermath? Ah, yeah. Meaning the moon is the after math, math of, of war. war. Again, it's 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 resonating, uh, or it's not. It's, it has connotations. It has the math of war, mm-hmm. um, which who was our Secretary of State in Vietnam? Um, uh, he Era. McNamara, yeah, uh, McNamara. When he was just literally jotting down numbers, they showed him uh, writing numbers down. And these are death totals, but he's working out how to get the most out of it. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, and he's like, he's like, I knew I had to win this war because I'd be classified as a war criminal had I lost. Oh, wow. That's why I hear math of war. I think about McNamara scribbling stuff on a notepad. And right. those are death totals that he's trying to maximize. <clears throat> well, I think that there, there's something there with what, what it is that you're talking about. I mean, it, it, there's embedded in just even this first stanza, you have gunpowder, you have the double mm-hmm. meanings of, or you know many meanings of magazine. Um, you actually have the word war, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it, it seems to be talking about, it seems to be that everything in the universe is affected by... Confrontation politi- yeah, the, of, of, of of conflict, and I mean literally like maybe bo- celestial bodies coming together. Right. It almost seems like it, 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 at least the poet is creating a world in which everything is in conflict, mm-hmm. where it feels like everything's in conflict. Everything mm-hmm. has the probability of colliding or exploding or... Terminating. Imploding. Yeah. Right? And also... <laughs> Don't don't think that your life is so precious because she's starting right off with the second stanza with long dead stars. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, by the way, did you think that you were special? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then in a dark pocket of the universe, we walked the wind-shaped dunes that hiss like cosmic ice. 
Um, you know, and because this landscape has long been connected to a cinematic representation of Mars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Literally. Literally. Yeah. Um, this I, lunar. Anything Martian. Yeah. Also because of the red mm-hmm. uh, in it. So, um, you know, to say that they're they're on these dunes and it feels like they're walking in another universe and especially if they're alone mm-hmm. that maybe this is why well it certainly is a large part of the reason why this intimate moment is even able to happen between them right in this tent that they are actually not being interrupted at this moment by the world's troubles by the political strife by his dangerous job mm-hmm. by um you know, any number of things. Um, but that being alone on this kind of Martian landscape um, allows them to see each other more vividly mm-hmm. as their person, right? Like the person that you would go to through anything. The person that you would... Well, the person you identify with as your... your Spiritual... Yeah, I mean, we can say the spiritual other, but basically, you're the one in this in this highly problematic and conflict-ridden world, conflicting and dying and rebirthing an exploding planet or existence. You are my solace. Yeah, you are my oasis. I'm aware that this isn't going to be a long time we have together. Right, and it's quite possible that nothing will last, including us including our planet, including everything. But if there is a chance that I'm wrong and there is something after the end of our mortal lives here, you know you should meet me here. Here, yeah. You'll remember this, and so will I. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's such a beautiful sentiment, and yet not sentimental. The belief that the afterlife is... Uh, of your own construction, that it will be what you have maybe unconsciously or what you consciously believe it to be. Mm. So setting up meeting points or having things like highlights of your life replaying on loop. Yeah. Um, Oh, like the movie Afterlife, the Japanese film. I just love that movie. Oh, I don't, I don't, no, I, I've I never made you watch Afterlife. No. Oh my gosh. After we talk about this, I, we should go watch it right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an amazing show. But the, the belief that you can construct your, your life after you, whether you believe that you deserve reward or punishment, it will be what you've designed it to be subconsciously. Oh, interesting. So I like, it's like, she's like already laying the groundwork for it in case... Yeah, I already know where our our place will be. It's just, um, we're going to have to work on ours. Yeah, I don't know what that would be. Well, I'd be torn, and that's the problem. I have a moment of us in Vegas, and I have, (laughs) I have. We can't meet in Vegas. That's not where you meet up for the afterlife. Well, if if it's hell, yes. Yeah, okay, all right. Especially the Tropicana. That's not... (laughs) I was like, Come you want to meet up in Vegas in the Tropicana? No, no, I'm just saying, when I think about <laughs> defining moments, when I knew I was in love with you, there was a moment in the Tropicana <laughs> in Vegas. Oh, yes, then, that's right. You and luckily, this. on our honeymoon. <laughs> yes. But uh, I keep thinking the quiet, the, the quiet moment in uh, Vittoria. Yeah, I know. I think of that too. Yeah, the 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 glass cased cafe in the middle yeah. of the park. Yeah, when it was yeah. raining all over and we're yeah. sitting there, and I uh, don't know why. It, we were just having a very simple mo- morning, following whatever capricious <laughs> thing we wanted to do at that moment. And perhaps you think of that moment, and I think of that moment, or we idealize it because it epitomizes who we were as a couple before we had children. <laughs> also, anytime that you and I have had quiet, mo- I think you and I being together, um, we've had very raucous lives. Uh, yeah. Bumpy, mm-hmm. turbulent lives prior yeah. to meeting each other. And we're very precious about our quietness yeah, now that we true. have. I know. Yeah. I mean, for the first couple of years we were together, we wouldn't be like, oh, we're so boring. Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> <It's> awesome. <laughs> Nobody has stabbed anybody. (laughs) 
<laughs> no one yells at anyone. I it's awesome. Any how? dead animals <laughs> hidden. Uh, no, but we, yeah, I think, I think that you're right. I think that part of the, part of the thing that we both enjoy about our relationship is the kind of lack of drama. And so that might be a nice way to characterize our, our relationship. Okay. All right. So back to this relationship we're reading about. <laughs> There's there's a, a a great deal of um, yummy goodness in this. In what way? What do you mean? Um, I I I don't think I've actually said anything to this effect to you, but um, certain words mm. resonate with me, and certain words don't. Okay. In poetry, that was pushed upon me. Uh huh. Um, the words that kind of. They they just seem to be flooded with words like um, gossamer. G- exactly, I've told you this. <laughs> I have said this to you. No, before. that's actually a word that that bothers me. The word gossamer. The word does the word gossamer bother you? Okay, one. I love the word gossamer. I hate it. I hate reading it. I okay. You know what? It's one of those things I like knowing. I like knowing the word gossamer. Right. But yes, exactly. Man, you've thrown me for a loop. Um, I had, I had three words and I can't remember the other two, but it was, you know, gossamer, pillowy, diaphanous, you know, (laughs) like along these lines, I like words like galvanized, acid etched, you know, words that are literally industrial, physical, physical. Yeah. Where I can see something grinded into metal. It comes from the, the, the punk and death rock background. Um, so you want a steampunk poem? N- n- no, because then it's all going to just be leather, brass, and really into itself. <laughs> and being pseudo-intellectual. <laughs> Sorry, I actually do like the music of Abney Park. Um, that's not a stab at everybody who likes steampunk. I, I like it too. But come on, let's face it. It's not high art. Just like I love bubblegum goth, like Birthday Massacre. I can't defend it. It's pretty, <laughs> but you I love like it, it yeah. but I cannot defend it. <laughs> so she's got kind of, um, everything here is beautiful, but it's definitely has its barbs and its edges to it. And I guess it's, there's no mm. naivete. I guess that's it. I, what I love about it is there's no naivete about this. Yeah. And when you can love somebody in a dark world and it's not. With a certain clarity. With a clarity and um, a, um, not a bravado, but a genuine straightened spine. This world is dark. And I know it's dark, and that's why I appreciate all the more what we have here. Right. Yeah, it's it's not dark for darkness sake. It's... Um, what are some of the words in here that you particularly are drawn well, to? Well, see, it's not the... It's not... I started saying words. Um, I, again, I don't have the training. I don't have the experience to go with this. But what we're talking about is things like when she said, it hissed like cosmic ice. Mm. Again, no human being knows what that sound is, but we know what that is. Mm-hmm. We've seen it in movies, and we can sense we can sense the idea of ourselves flying through a, com- a comet's tail, yeah. or the camera doing it. And we've driven through frozen ice storms. Yeah. <clears throat> um, hail. Yeah, but even when it's less than hail, when it's when it's. Uh, when it sounds like it's crackling or t- yeah, when it sounds almost like mice scratching on your yeah. windshield and you're driving through something like this. Yeah. I, I, and you're the way that you said mice. I mean, it draws me back to this poem in her use of the word hissed. Mm-hmm. It hisses like cosmic ice, which makes it sound like it's something alive. Mm-hmm. Right. And perhaps giving you warning yeah. in some way, um, which is gorgeous. I just wish I had understood, well, uh, every time, every, the, the poems are a learning process for me. I just wish I had known there actually was um, an observatory, because um, I kept stumbling over the, everything that the observatory was serving in this. Most of my notes were, I don't get it, what do you mean, the eye pointed towards the... Did you just not read the epigraph? You read over it. You read it, and then we're like, okay... And then moved on with the poem. Well, I was, I instantly, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. And when you were reading, I was already, my eyes were on astronauts, suits, smells like spent. I'm like, what? Who's, I was already there when you were Mm. reading. So I, I, yes. Okay. 
Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to defend myself. You had the right of it. Yes. <laughs> yes, you just didn't listen. <laughs> Correct. Oh, my God. <laughs> I wish my students would do that every once in a while. Just admit you weren't listening. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Don't try to defend yourself. Hold on. I'm really deep, and I've got a great no. No. No, you just no. weren't listening. <laughs> For the radio listeners who are just tuning in, you're listening to Lit from the Basement with Danielle and Max. The poem we're discussing today is The Explosive Expert's Wife by Shara Leslie. If you'd like to read along with the work, you can find it on our website, litfromthebasement.com. Go to the show notes tab and find show number six. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the main things that I, that I love about this is the linguistic texture throughout the musicality of it um, and then the imagery is just completely vivid the entire time. She completely places you in this space. Um, and then the narrative structure, where it's so surprising. You don't expect there to be um, in the middle of what ultimately ends up being a kind of romantic or intimate moment, which is dealt with delicately. I mean, obviously, there's no graphic display of, of anything. And we don't even really necessarily understand before it happens that this is leading up to a kind of intimate moment right? mm -hmm. because of her use of the language of both war and the cosmos um, in relation to an observatory, right? Mm -hmm. um, that it's not, it, it's not a romantic sounding poem at no. all. It has the kind of edge to it the way that you. I like. Yeah. It reminds me of the, uh, the Hiroshima lovers. Oh, really? Yeah. Like the literally the end time for them are you talking about oh i actually don't know the the, the shadows flashed on the wall from the oh, atomic bomb and the people oh, embracing yes, yes yes okay i know what you're talking about now i actually went to the went to the museum at hiroshima when i was visiting japan so i i, I, I is that what they're called or okay. that's what i've just always thought when you oh i don't know okay i, I don't know <clears throat> that, that that's why i needed the clarification yeah yeah i don't know what they're called but yeah, there's this, um, there is a sense of like the world is bad and, or the world is ending and I have you and mm -hmm. I'm grateful for that. And I like that this poem is quite worldly. I think that you mentioned that at, at the beginning of our conversation that not only does a sensory imagery throughout the poem point to a terrestrial understanding of this space and this moment but also there is surrounding them this political strife mm -hmm. this violence um and a kind of pragmatic approach to the love of another person mm -hmm. right um i like that this isn't a poem about i, I just met you and i think you're fine <laughs> you know um that the world hasn't melted away even in this moment in which they are completely alone yeah the problem is the world has not melted away <laughs> yeah possibly <laughs> <laughs> but yeah we get to that last line um and it's so well earned should darkness fall i'll meet you there and now that we've discussed the poem we'll play it for you one more time if you want to read along with the poem, just go to our website, litfromthebasement.com, click on the show notes tab, and then look for show number six. The Explosive Expert's Wife by Shara Leslie. Skygate, the abandoned observatory at Wadi Rum. The astronaut's suit smells like spent gunpowder, the magazine says, meaning the moon is the aftermath of war. Or perhaps it's the scent of satellites orbiting long dead stars. In a dark pocket of the universe, we walked the wind-shaped dunes that hissed like cosmic ice. I thought I knew the limits sadness in this world but the tense fibers glistened 
like a meteor's pale tail, and behind the curtain, I realized the veiled scope had kept its vigil for some time, wide eye pointed toward Earth's illusory dome. It would be months before I heard you drag your packed bag across our marble floor to catch a red eye bound for the city where the explosion's embers burned for days after the attack. Before the reporter on scene said the crew freed the woman's husband by detecting with a tiny machine his still beating heart as he fought for air. That night in the desert, there was nothing to stop us from going in. We entered, undressed. If there's a passage between this world and the next, let it begin in that dormant tent. Should darkness fall, I'll meet you there. So if you have any thoughts, critiques, or anything you want to share with us, please head over to our contact page and just shoot us an email. And don't forget to download, subscribe, and share. And we are available now on iTunes, Spotify. So if you head over to our show notes by clicking on the, uh, well, link here in the show, you can see a copy of the poem here, uh, a link to buy Shara's book picture of the observatory and information about September women poets and how you can participate. This has been lit from the basement. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. Good night. Take care. Just for fun, why don't you Google Google image I I? Is it just the letters I and I? Mm-mm, no. Put in Madagascar. The word I? E Y E? No, I think it's I think it's the affirmative I I. Oh, it, actually it came up. A Y E A Y E. Why is it called the I I? Is that what it says? No, I don't uh, but I I lemur of Madagascar. Oh, it's so ugly. <laughs> Well, it looks like, you know what it looks? It looks like a scared, uh, emaciated bat who really needs your love. He really, really does. Like, I really want to feed this thing soup and put a blanket around him. I'm like, oh, poor I.I.